Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today is Martin Arnold, our banking editor. And down the line from Frankfurt, we have James Schotter, our correspondent there, and in Shanghai, Gabriel Wildow. This week, we'll be talking about the pretty disastrous round of European bank results. We'll be going to Frankfurt for a look at the latest problems at Deutsche Bank and also a look at the Chinese shadow banking sector. First, though, to those European bank results. Tuesday has seen a glut of results from Europe's banks. Martin, you've been focusing mostly on HSBC this morning, but we also have numbers out from UBS, BNP and Comets Bank. And I think it's fair to say, with the possible exception of BNP, that it's a pretty glum set of results. That's right. I mean, I would split them into two sectors. One where you've got quite positive results from France's biggest bank, BNP Paribas, but also from HSBC, which both healthily beat expectations. On the other hand, you've got UBS, Switzerland's biggest bank, and Comets Bank in Germany, which both had a disappointing set of results. And the shares of both of those banks have plunged on Tuesday yeah. morning. Shares of Comets Bank were down 9% and shares in UBS are down more than 6%. In contrast, BNP shares are up a bit and HSBC is down, but only slightly, about 1%. So really diverging fortunes there. But I think the common theme of all of them is that the first quarter, particularly the first two months of this year, were really difficult for global banks like these four because you had a combination of slowing growth and concern about the economic outlook, and particularly slowing growth in China and Asia. And combined with that, you had very volatile conditions in financial markets, which hit investment banking revenues, the trading revenues that these investment banks generate from trading, and also hit their advisory businesses where they arrange IPOs, they get fees for advising on M&A, on takeovers, and also for doing debt issues for companies, because activity just slowed down markedly. But I think perhaps more encouragingly for investors in the financial sector, the message is very much that things have improved somewhat since January, February. There was a better month in March and indeed April has seen reasonable conditions. There's also a sense, I think, in Europe at least, that a lot of things are on hold in terms of big corporate transactions, fundraisings, equity issues, bond issues, all on hold because of the uncertainty about Brexit and the UK's referendum on June 23rd, where it's still pretty much in the balance. You know, some of the polls suggest that it's leaning more towards staying in, but only slightly. So a lot of uncertainty there. People, I think, have got things on hold, and that's not good for these big global investment banks. Let's move on to our second topic for the day, which is a look at Deutsche Bank. And we'll go to James Schotter in Frankfurt in a moment on that element of the story. But I want to look really at both Deutsche and Barclays. Both have been in the news in the FT over the past couple of days because of yet more scandal, essentially, Martin. 
this is really important because both Deutsche Bank, Germany's biggest bank, and Barclays, which is one of the UK's biggest banks, have had a string of misconduct issues, costly fines, and they've changed their management in the past couple of years, in both cases, with new chief executives coming in and promising to clean up the culture. And in both of these stories, we're seeing signs that that is a real struggle. It's not easy. And there are still allegations being made that the banks have not cleaned up their act, that they are still lax, particularly on anti-money laundering, on compliance the general culture of control and making sure that no illegal activity is going through these banks. And this is vitally important, particularly for Deutsche Bank, where there is a lot of speculation that Deutsche Bank needs to do a rights issue to boost its capital levels. And if the bank does not manage to clean up its culture, then it's going to be more costly fines. They've already had billions of euros of fines from regulators for things like manipulating the LIBOR interest rate benchmark. And if they don't clean up their act soon, then this is just going to be a running sore and that's going to be painful for shareholders. We'll go to James in just one second to talk about the details of the latest Deutsche Farago. But in the meantime, quickly bring us up to speed on the Barclays story. This is the French operation of Barclays, which they're actually in the process of trying to sell to a private equity firm, Anacap. But we discovered that there was a whistleblower who's actually the chief risk officer of the operation in France who raised serious concerns about what's going on there. That's right. We've seen a letter from the chief risk officer at Barclays France to his boss, the chief executive officer of Barclays France, dated just last month, basically saying there are all these issues where the red flags should have been raised or clearly areas of concern where some staff have been questioned by police over anti-money laundering issues, seeing clients withdrawing large cash amounts on a regular basis, some clients who should be flagged up as politically exposed persons that aren't being flagged up, in other cases mis-selling particularly highly expensive, high-fee-paying savings accounts to very old clients who arguably shouldn't be sold these things, and a whole laundry list of these things. But basically the most damning part of the letter is the suggestion in there that this has not been taken seriously enough by Barclays and has in fact been somewhat brushed under the carpet with staff not being disciplined. The internal audit report that was carried out into some of these issues cleared the bank of any wrongdoing. And so after LIBOR and foreign exchange rigging and all of these issues that Barclays has gone through and they promised to clean up their act, have they actually done so? And so I don't think this will be enough to affect the sale of the business to Anacap, the private equity group. And the indications we have from their side is that they know about most of these issues and that they're fairly comfortable going ahead with the deal. And private equity are probably better equipped being private to deal with some of those and not be as exposed as a large listed bank to some of the reputational aspects of that. But still, it's problematic from the point of view of Barclays culture. Well, let's now go to James in Frankfurt to talk about the Deutsche Bank issues, which are rather more advanced in terms of regulatory involvement. James, thanks very much for joining us. Bring us up to speed with what you've discovered. The FCA has carried out a review of Deutsche Bank's anti-money laundering and other financial crime controls as part of its broader anti-money laundering program, which is testing 14 banks in this respect, one by one. The on-site part of the review took place last year, and the FCA wrote to Deutsche in early March with its findings, and the watchdog found various weaknesses ranging from missing documents to a lack of transaction monitoring to, in some cases, pressure 
being put on staff to take on certain clients. And so as a result of this, the watchdog has now requested that the Deutsche submit to an independent review of its efforts to remediate these problems. And Deutsche has done various things last November John Cryan, the new chief executive, said that the bank would stop taking on clients in certain high-risk jurisdictions until it was happy with its controls. The bank's also increased the number of territories that it classifies as high-risk from 33 to 109, and also set up a committee including various figures such as Sylvie Matara, who is its chief regulation officer and a former Banque de France official, and Jeff Irwin, the head of its investment bank who previously dealt with similar matters in his time at J.P. Morgan, to deal with this. So the bank is hoping that it can get a grip on the matters that way, but I guess we have to wait for the independent review to see if the FCA is finally happy with what Deutsch has done. So if that's the kind of UK regulator's view of things, that's kind of all very, I suppose, damning to some extent. How much more damaging, certainly from a PR point of view, has it been then that also within the last few days, the chairman of the bank's so-called integrity committee resigned, apparently because he was doing his job too well? Well, exactly. I mean, this is definitely a bad blow from a PR perspective for Deutsche. Basically, what happened was that two board members, the deputy chairman, Alfred Herling, and Henning Kargemann, the former head of SAP, who's also on Deutsche's board, both gave quotes to the Frankfurt Allgemeine Sonntagszeitung a week ago, which were very critical of Mr. Tormer. Mr. Herling said that he was being overzealous, and Kargemann said the bank needed to look to the future. And basically, their concerns seemed to revolve around Tormer's investigations into how senior figures at the bank dealt with past scandals. And certainly the optics of the head of an integrity committee resigning being accused of being overzealous are difficult. And today, ISS, which is the shareholder advisor, expressed concerns about precisely this point in its recommendations ahead of Deutsche's annual general meeting, which takes place on May the 19th. In a boost for Deutsche, ISS didn't recommend that shareholders vote against either the supervisory board or the management board, recommended that they back both of them. However, it did back a proposal by a small shareholder for a special audit into the role played by senior managers in dealing with past problems at the bank. So I think this one is likely to run for a while. Okay, James, thanks very much for that. I suppose what you've said just echoes exactly Martin's view that both for Deutsche and for Barclays, the job of the new, relatively new chief executives in post is going to be a pretty uphill struggle to deal with past conduct issues. Well, let's move on to our third topic, which is a look at the Chinese financial system, in particular the so-called shadow banking system that has been growing in China very rapidly over the past few years. And I'm joined by Gabriel Wildow, our Shanghai correspondent, who has been looking at some of the rule changes. Policymakers finally have responded to some of the concerns in the market. That's right, Patrick. So there's been a cat and mouse game over the last five years between banks and regulators as the shadow banking system has expanded. So in the early stage of shadow banking, it focused on moving loans completely off balance sheet by selling kind of structured investment products directly to investors where they were completely off balance sheet. But over the last year, what we've seen is a new development, which is banks keeping loan-like assets on their balance sheet, but not recording them as loans recording them instead as so-called investment products or debt receivables or items like that. And the purpose of that is to reduce the provisions and the regulatory capital 
that banks have to hold against these assets. So instead of booking a traditional loan, you're ostensibly holding a kind of a wealth management product whose underlying assets is nothing other than just a loan. So what the regulator has said last week is that banks have got to clean up some of the way that they account for some of this stuff. So when banks partner with intermediaries to create these investment products, it has to be made clear exactly where the risk lies and whose balance sheet is holding these assets. Because what we've often seen is, for example, sort of off-the-books repurchase agreements where a bank is ostensibly not holding the asset but has agreed to repurchase it at a future date. So that means that that bank is still ultimately bearing the risk. So in terms of the big picture, Gabriel, it feels as if the authorities are, to a certain extent, getting a handle on this issue. But how big a problem is it? How worried should China and the rest of the world be about the risks that are already sitting out there? Well, China's economy is slowing, and that means that loans are going to start to go bad. In fact, we've already seen a big uptick in reported non-performing loans, and many analysts believe that the true extent of defaults is even greater than what the official numbers show. But regulators are trying to strike a balance between curbing some of the most risky practices while also forbearing to some extent because they recognize that a lot of the credit that is flowing through the shadow banking system is actually necessary to keep the economy moving and that the borrowers who tap this kind of credit are those that are largely shut out of the uh, traditional banking system. So what they're trying to do is essentially kind of cut off the most dangerous stuff, but saying that this kind of shadow banking activity can continue so long as it's accounted for properly and that there's more transparency than there has been. I know that there are certain analysts out there who see this as being a possible cause of a blow up in China and around the world that actually makes 2008 look like child's play. There are those analysts. Now, I'm personally not quite as concerned as some of the very most bearish analysts I think the Chinese government still has a lot of tools at its disposal to ward off crisis. But there's no question that as the economy slows, the pain is going to worsen. And certainly, you know, it was just a few years ago that the biggest banks were posting huge profits, and now their profits have slowed down substantially. And I think a lot depends on the macro economy as to how big the pain is for the financial sector. And how long the juggling act can continue. Very good, Gabriel. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, that's it for this week. All that's left for me to do is to thank Martin here in the studio and James Schotter in Frankfurt and Gabriel Wilder in Shanghai. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at ft.com banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. Goodbye.